Rolling along on a Wednesday morning. Good morning to you. Jake Quarry along with Mark Dykton. Kevin Bowen will be back next week, of course, as we get set for Colts camp. And joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, it is foolish of me to do a long introduction. He needs no intro. When it comes to Indianapolis, the most beloved running back, a man that actually started every game in which he appeared for the Indianapolis Colts, Edron James joins us on the program this morning. Edge, good morning, man. How are you? Hey, what's up, man? How y'all doing? We are well, thank you. First off, before we get to the the main topic I want to discuss with you that we've talked a lot about, and that's the running back situation for the Colts, uh, I was sitting there flipping through social media, and I think it was Reggie Wayne posted. I, I guess it was this past weekend. My apologies if it was beyond that, but did you do like a road trip in the air with Jim Irsay, Tariq Glenn, Reggie Wayne, and yourself? Oh, yeah, we roll out with the big – I call him the big man. We roll out with the big man all the time, man, so – he had this um, concert he put on, so we got a chance to go out there and actually support and be a part of it with us along with some Patriots players. So it was actually pretty cool. So you went out to Boston. I, You know, Edge, I, I don't think I need to tell you this, and I think most people realize this now. Jim Mercer's an interesting guy because he has a great admiration in history for the league, not just the, the Colts, but the NFL in general. But I've always respected how – he seemingly knows what every former Colt player is up to, whether they played one game here or a decade or whatever it might be. But is it safe to say that Edron James is Jim Irsay's all-time favorite Colt? <laughs> man, the big man loves all his people, man. He loves everybody. He included everybody, you know. Edge is Edge. It's like, how can you not like Edge, you know? Like, I'm <laughs> Edge. <laughs> no, just, no, but all jokes aside, man, the big man does a great job of keeping everybody intact. It's a family organization. And, you know, once a coat, always a coat. And when you come through there, you know, you feel like you, you're back home. So he does a great job of keeping everybody together. And the inclusive part is what's actually pretty cool because when he's having something, he's always inviting uh, former players. And it's, it's cool to be a part of that because as players know, as when, you, when you go through this league, it's not the same. Every organization is different, and the relationship with the actual organization is not is not the same for every player. So, or for a lot of players in different organizations, but this organization, everybody loves um, the Colts. Everybody loves the Thursday. Is it? Did it take a second? You know, I know when you were here. I'm assuming. You know, you obviously went on and played for Arizona. You played in Seattle. I mean, did you? At the time that you moved on from Indianapolis, and, and, you know, we obviously know what happened there. They draft Joseph Adai, and they go from, you know, to a younger player. Was there immediate, like, in in that moment, was there a resentment? Or how did you navigate through the emotion of understanding the business of it versus the personal aspect of it? It was never an issue with me because I always understood the business. Anybody that knows me knows I've always been about my business. I always understood the business. And that's the thing about when you go into the NFL. Once you're in the NFL, you should understand that it's a business and things have to – I mean, everybody has to do what's best for them. You see the owners or the teams that do what's best for them. You see sometimes you see players do what's best for them. So you can't get your feelings involved in any of that. And I never had any issues with the coach, and it was always good. And that's why the relationship has always remained intact. Even when I moved on, you know, I was always a coach. What is your assessment now? Edron James is our guest on the Payless Stickers Hotline. You know, the 
the situation now with Jonathan Taylor, and for that matter, running backs in general. I mean, you, you know, we obviously see Josh Jacobs, who I think is a wonderful player. Cook is a great player that, that Minnesota had. Pollard getting tagged in Dallas. Are we seeing the devalue of the running back? And as a guy who went from, you know, gold teeth to gold jacket yourself by running the football, what's your overall assessment of all of it? Well, it it, it comes down to you know, the running backs got to stick together. They got to understand their value. They got to understand that, you know, it is one of the toughest positions to play. And you bring so much to a team and to an organization. But at the same time, you have to, you have to understand that everybody has to stick together in order to get something accomplished. Whatever it is we're trying to accomplish, all the running backs got to stick together because without the running game, it's hard to have an offense move the way that you would design it to move. And I think the quarterback should speak up because you look at any quarterback or any quarterback knows if you want to, what's the purpose of a play-action fake? What's the purpose of, of when the other team, the opposing team is blitzing? You've got to depend on that running back. You know, in the franchises, a lot of times franchises are putting themselves at risk if they don't take care of that running back because that's the one that can, that's protecting the quarterback. So it's a lot that goes into it. I just think the guys got to stick together and the importance of the position. History shows that the running back position is what keeps this thing intact. Any team that has a strong running game, you know, it opens up the passing game. The great Edron James joining us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Edge, it did seem like turning point when you saw guys like Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, uh, not getting contract extensions with their team, having to play out on the franchise tag. What are your thoughts on the franchise tag as a former player? Well, I've been there, done that. You know, history repeats itself. It's it's part of the game, but, man, just go out. If, if you love the game, do what you got to do to make sure you're in shape, make sure you take care of yourself, and understand that, hey, this is, the, this is where I'm at right now. Make the best of where you're at, but try to get that long-term deal. Because every every player needs some safety, security. They need to make sure that, you know, their value is actually appreciated and shown. But this this is a business and the organization is going to do what they feel is best. So you're always, it's always going to be something that somebody don't like. But as, as a player, you know, when I went to the franchise, went through the franchise thing, I just made sure I was in the best shape possible. I wasn't getting out there doing any of those unnecessary things as far as if I don't have to play in the game, I'm not playing in the game. If I didn't have to do the preseason, I wouldn't do the preseason. I would just make sure that I take care of my body, make sure I take care of myself. And, but you got to stay prepared and make sure you try your best to stay in football shape because you never know what's going to happen the next year. Do you believe, Edron James, that it's in the best interest of the Colts to lock down Jonathan Taylor and another contract, and if so, do you think that they should give him unlimited whatever aspect within reason he wants monetarily, or should they put a hard cap on it? Well, I'm not I'm not in that position as a general manager or owner of the team, so I think it, history has shown the Colts are going to do what's best for the Colts. And as a running back, I want to see every running back get compensated. I want to make sure – I mean, I, I always would love to see – a player get compensated because I know what it takes to become a running back, a top running back. But at the same time as an organization, they're going to do what's best for them or the way they see things fit. And that's not something that I have any say so over or anybody has any say so over. So 
hopefully everything works out where you can find like a happy medium where everybody's happy. What percent of the Edron James that we saw as a football player was God-given? And what percent was being in Immokalee or Miami in the offseason and getting up probably three hours before everybody else? I think everything starts from the top, man. Everything is God-given. And then you just capitalize off of all those attributes or those gifts that he gives you, and you recognize them. And then you go to the late-night trainings or you go to the University of Miami. You just All you do is bring out what he's already given you. So it starts from the top, and it trickles down from there. So I remember, Ed, you would not remember this, but there was one year, I can't remember what the circumstance was, but but there was a big question mark as to whether or not like you would report to camp or we hadn't heard from you in the off season. You know, I can't remember what the circumstance was. But I think you were very misunderstood by we in the media. I don't think the team misunderstood you. I remember Peyton Manning once said you were the best teammate he ever had. And a lot of us in the media I think miscalculated you, quite frankly. I, I guess I should apologize for that when you were a player. But you came in, and I remember asking to interview you on report day, and you were like, well, I've got to go get my, my physical and my body fat tested. And I think we made a wager on what your body fat would be. And I thought, like, well, this yeah. guy hadn't – I don't know where he's been all, all off season. I have no idea. And you went in, and your body fat was like 5% or something absolutely insanely ridiculous. No, way less than 5%. Yeah, what, 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 than 5%. What's the lowest you ever had? It was like 1% or less. So it was way down there. But I used to always take pride in that. He's had his little machine. But, no, it's no, it's, it's nothing against – I mean, the media, that's, it's, that, they're not to blame. Everybody's going off of what they think or what history has shown. But, you know, I think from day one I shown that I was different. I understood the assignment. You know, football means a lot to me, and it meant so much to me that I understand what it takes to become a great football player, and I have a decision to make. Do I commute every week? to try to go to to go to Indianapolis to train in different circumstances? Or do I go to the place that's home, the place that I'm familiar with, the place that brought all this stuff out of me in the hottest part of the day to make sure I'm in the best shape possible? So that was a no-brainer. And I, I understand everybody wants everybody to be in place, and I, I, I get it. But for me, I had to do what's best for me. For best for me to train in that 100 degrees weather, with those college kids and with those guys that was or my, or the, my former teammates that would push me to another level. Because in the pros, it's different. You don't train the same pros. You know, everybody's pro, they have their own situation or their own strategy. But when you go down to college, those guys are hungry. I was able to get everything I wanted. And plus, I could be around my family because, you know, when football season starts, it's all football. And the off season is it's all season. A week out from Colts players reporting to training camp. What was your mindset this time of year, knowing that training camp was just around the corner? Man, I was, I was, I was always pumped up because it was, it was time. Yet that's when you get totally away from the game, you get totally away from the city, and then when you come back, it's like, okay, let's let's go at this thing again because like, football players love to play football, you know. And when it's a chance to get out there, especially in the NFL, you get a chance to. Get out there and show you one of the best of the best. And all those years that you've worked to become an NFL player is real. And you have so many people that, or so many kids that's looking up to you. So you want to make sure you're giving, giving them the best performance so you give them something to look up to. So I was always pumped up and ready. And I, and I used to just make sure that my body was ready. That was the main thing. Edge, what are your impressions? 
if you've seen him, and I realize that we haven't seen him as a pro player yet, but what are your overall impressions or reactions to Anthony Richardson? I think he has all the tools. He just got to make sure he does what it takes. You know, it's, um, he's in the right organization. The organization is behind him. That's the first thing. You know, you're going to be in a spot that's going to give you every chance to be successful. So he's in the right, he's in the right place, and he fits everything that the coach or every, he fits everything that the coach needs, especially in this day and age. You know, they got a court, they got the office, I mean, they got the, the coach that came from Philly. You saw how successful they were. Similar type players, I think Richardson may be a little faster than Jalen Hurts, but you know, a lot, a lot of those things that they had successful success doing in Philly, you can see them doing that in Indianapolis. So, I mean, I think the the, the kid has a great chance to be successful. And coach, know, I mean, I think the people of Indianapolis know what it, what a great quarterback looks like, and they're gonna hold everybody accountable. Okay, I got two last questions for you to the city of Indianapolis, to the people of Indy Edge. The first is, when you think of Indianapolis, aside from football, what's the one thing of this town you most miss? That you, yeah, that you miss the most, I should say. Uh, it's a, man, I had some great years there, and it's, it's good energy. So, you know, anytime I come to Indianapolis, it's always good, good vibes, very welcoming, and I've always enjoyed it. And I, and I try to come a little bit more now, especially doing more things with the coach. So it's, I can't say miss because – I'm not missing because I still get it. Okay, lastly, Edge, for, you know, I know this time of morning a lot of times, maybe not during the off-school year, but there are a lot of young kids that listen. And I think it's important, you know, like I said, Peyton Manning has never shied from saying that you are the best teammate he ever had. In your opinion, in the opinion of Edron James, if you were to speak right now to a young person who's involved in sports or whatever it might be, what can they do to be a great teammate? Oh, be there for your team. You know, you have to be there in a the sense of, like, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You don't have to physically be there every day. Well, you have to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do to make sure that you are being successful. I think a, a lot of times you see people, they, they'll blame this or they'll blame that. When you really break everything down, as long as you're doing your part and you're being there and holding yourself accountable, you're going to be a great teammate. Edge, we appreciate the time as always. I don't know that I've had a chance to talk to you since you got in the Hall of Fame. I know that's been a while, but certainly congratulations. And I think the entire city of Indianapolis was proud not only of your representation of the franchise there, but the way that you handled the induction, the speech, your message to everybody. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. It's good to catch up. All right, man. Thanks for having me. And anytime you need me, phone call away. Appreciate it. Edron James on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You heard him talking about um, – working out in the 100-degree heat, working out with the younger kids in order to get ready for camp. Turns out, one guy that there's a huge question mark about with the Colts yesterday posted a video that was encouraging and shows that perhaps that's exactly what he's doing at a time when we're wondering what he might be up to. We'll explain all of that, and Matt Taylor joins us an hour from now in the 8 o'clock hour Getting underway here on Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, The Fan. And Mark, is there anything in Western civilization, is there anything that has gone more bonkers in terms of outthinking itself and going way too far 
for just what is the simple task it needs to do than the American printer. You and the printer, you have you have beef constantly. I, I just needed to print one thing, and I go over to the printer, and it's like in warm-up mode, sleep mode, and then you do it, and it's like, okay, do you, what size do you want? What color do you want? What texture do you want? What background do you want? What depth do you want? I just want to print something. Well, for someone that has an odd sleep schedule, I think if the printer wants to sleep on its own time, it's allowed to do so. I, I, and I you're waking it up. It's kind of rude. But, like, there... 99.9% of things in my lifetime I have seen incredible advance. The printer is the one that anybody listening right now is like, yes, I miss the days of just a simple push a button and it prints. I don't need to answer 10,000 questions and then wait for it to sit there. I mean, it, it's like going through the TSA at the airport. I just want a sheet of paper. The printer in this office is your Everest. Uh, it's not just me. I'm telling you. <laughs> Uh, joining us now on the Payless Liggers Hotline, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so. Uh, I get to follow probably, printer talk. Listen, we're getting ready for the time of year where when it comes to the Colts roster, it's like the printer. You don't know who's sleeping. You don't know who's ready to go. You don't know. What, there's all kinds of nuances to figure out and determine about players. What Matt Taylor is the voice of the Colts, joins us now. Matt, a week from today, all hell breaks loose in your life, becomes the hands of everybody else, right? Jake, you want eight and a half by 11. You want 11 by 14. You want color, right? And the worst is when you go to print something and you go to print preview and you think you're good, right? You check your margins. Everything you need is, is, is going to be in there when you go to print. And then it still cuts it off. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it still cutting this okay, off? Okay, so it's not just me, right? Like, they've way overthought these, right? Well, you got to, like, you got to swipe your company key card to make sure, like, so they can keep track of, like, how much you're printing. Because you know they don't want they don't want people to be the guy that's going to like rack up like you know three hundred pages every month. It's yep. like sending out invitations to your kid's birthday party. So yeah, I mean the, the printing game. Trust me, I print a lot of stuff in in the, in the fall for for game materials. So I, I totally feel you on the printing struggles. Jake needs to swipe his key card after he printed off every professional sports logo. A few yeah, weeks that back was, that was on a, single pages. I don't even know how that happened. But Matt, here's the other thing that I think you and I are maybe the only two that can relate to this, but it is funny to me to give a glimpse behind the curtain for people. When you do what we do, in your case, calling football games, in my case, calling auto races, usually before the event, there are a number of statistics and factoid information booklets that are available. But in the racing world, now that's all online. So like for the Indy 500, the media guide that has like the facts of like, you know, this driver can become the seven, you know, whatever. Yeah. They, they always say, well, that's available online. And I'm like, look, when, so when Marco Andretti hits the wall at 220 miles an hour and I've got to figure out how many DNFs he has in his career and I have 12 seconds to do it, you want me to log yeah. in and then use my password. So <laughs> I have to print it all out ahead of time. And it's, it's a right. lot of paper. I would assume you do the same for games, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I take, yeah, I mean, I take printed materials, and I'll take press releases that are either printed or online. And, I mean, a, a big part of my week, I don't I don't know if people care about this or not, but, like, behind the curtain, a big part of my week, like, let's say the Colts play on Sunday and they don't have a game until the next Sunday. Like, up until probably Wednesday or Thursday is just organizing and clipping and, quite frankly, a lot of times just copying and, and pasting and moving those things around based on my organizational system so that when things happen or I need them, I know where to go find them in real time so that I can incorporate those things on the broadcast. Absolutely. And 
oftentimes what happens is I'll read something and copy and paste something, and then that'll uh, spawn like a different line of research. Like, okay, that happened, but I wonder when the last time this happened that's in conjunction with that, right? So absolutely, it's it's, there's a ton of, of printing and organizing stuff and you know, I always say, like, you know, your, your, your game prep is like your handwriting. Like, sometimes it only makes sense to you. Only you can read it. Only you can decipher, like, what it is and, and where you put it. So there's no right or wrong way to do that. But, yes, the, the struggle is that everything now is digital. Everything's all online. Nobody prints anything anymore. I'm old school. You know, I think you're old school. You want everything to be, you know, at your disposal when you need it so that you can have it when, when it's time to go on the broadcast. Matt, in terms of getting ready for camp and printing out those media guides, for example, um, those players that, as of now, are not contractually signed to be able to show up at camp, um, Anthony Richardson, if I'm not mistaken, is one of those, one of the rookies that's unsigned. It doesn't worry me a lot because there's not a whole lot of negotiating that has to take place but do we read into it all the fact that if I'm and you correct me if I'm wrong, I believe he's unsigned at this point, right? Right. Yeah. You've got Richardson, you've got Juju Brents who the Colts picked up in, in the second round. And you've got Blake Freeland who the Colts drafted, I think in round four, the offensive lineman. And that's a great question for, you know, like Mike Bloom, who's the Colts like capologist and is the smartest guy I know within the Colts building. He massages all the numbers and handles all the contracts and, he knows to, – to me, it doesn't really make any sense why guys aren't unsigned. Like, my surface-level understanding of all of this is it's a slotted wage scale system now, right? So if you're drafted first overall, you're going to make X. If yeah, you drafted, know what you're getting, right? Right. Yeah, so it really doesn't make – I've asked Mike this question before, like, I think both on the record and off the record, and every time he's given me the answer – I come away more confused than than before because I really don't understand why some guys sign right right away and then other guys, you know, like in, in this case, it's, it's all the way up until the week before camp. So I, I do know that those guys cannot practice until they sign. So that's obviously a storyline going into next Wednesday, the first practice day. Report day is the 25th, first practice the 26th. So they got to get it done contractually and logistically before then in order to see the field. I think it's usually like offset language or something about like if they reach this certain bonus or something. I, it's usually something. I, I mean, something I can minor see like, like that upfront money, maybe. I don't know, Matt. Like in terms of the amounts of money, and and I know that I'm asking kind of rhetorically because I'm not sure you would know either. But you know, like if you're a rookie and it is a you know you you are set to make X amount of dollars, there may be some negotiation maybe on how much of that is immediately available to you versus having sure. it set out over the course of time, etc. Right. Yeah. It's got to be just small, tiny, minutiae stuff like that in order for it to, to you know, have, have it be a hang-up going into camp like this. Because, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, it is. You're going to make X if you're drafted here or if you're, you know, the 27th pick in the fifth round, you're going to make this. And it, so it's got to be, you know, just the, the fine print and, and crossing the T's, dotting the I's kind of thing. And I think – I don't think it's contentious at all with any of those guys. I just think they're kind of just waiting it out and, and making sure that – uh, everything is in line with how they want it and how they prefer things. And there's there's a million things that go into an NFL contract that I think the average fan doesn't know about, that certainly I do not know about. And admittedly, 
I, I try to stay away from that stuff because it'll make your head spin, and I got enough to worry about anyways. Just getting these guys on the field and and knowing their backstory and and uh, you know memorizing names and numbers and colleges and and pertinent statistics uh, re- regarding you know their their production. So uh, I I purposely don't even try to open up contracts and memorize those things because it's a, it's a lost cause for me because my brain can handle only so much. And the business side of football is something that's just completely over my head. That's why you have guys like Mike Bloom in the building that are handling the salary cap. So if there's any big picture questions like that, you just go to Mike and he'll, he'll be able to explain it. But then sometimes it's, it's too nuanced and too intricate that it's better off just like you deal with it. You tell me when these guys are signed and we'll go from there. Matt, tell me the most intriguing storyline heading into Colts camp that does not involve Jonathan Taylor, Shaquille Leonard, or Anthony Richardson. Well, those are all the good ones, man. Um, you know, I think probably for me, outside of those, it would just be, you know, Chris Ballard is going to talk to the media on Tuesday, and I'm sure he's going to be asked how he feels and, and what his confidence level is in the depth of both the offensive line and in the secondary, particularly at cornerback. Because, I mean, outside of Kenny Moore the second, who is primarily, as we know, a nickel corner, uh, you just don't have a lot of depth. You don't have a lot of – well, I shouldn't say you don't have depth because you do have depth. You've got a lot of guys that can play there. But you don't have a lot of experience and you have a lot of youth, right? So if, if Kenny Moore is not back there, then then you're really looking at almost a brand-new secondary with the departure of uh, Brandon Faison and Stephon Gilmore and then Isaiah Rogers and his situation – So, you know, it's not necessarily a problem right now, but it is the reality of the situation where the Colts are at. They're they're going to be relying heavily on on Juju Brents and Darius Rush and Dallas Flowers and Jalen Jones, right? I mean, these are all first and second year players that, you know, one of one or two of those guys is potentially in for a starting role or, at the very least, key contributors on defense and on special teams. So, keeping an eye on that in terms of how that plays out, I think it's going to be pretty fluid. Uh, I think it's going to be a fluctuating situation basically all the way from the beginning of camp until the end of those preseason games. I don't think who you see out there, you know, day one next Wednesday is necessarily who you're going to see out there in week four, right, in in mid-October. So that's going to be an ongoing thing with Gus Bradley and his defense. And then I think on the offensive line, you like who's coming back. I think the offensive line is capable, certainly much capable, of, of being able to bounce back after last year, just collectively the performance of 60 sacks allowed and you know, all the pressures and not being able to handle those stunts and the blitzes and the line of scrimmage. I think Richardson's really going to help out with that to kind of lighten the box. But again, you know, you're you're an injury away from you know you're a, a Braden Smith or a Bernard Ryman, either one of your tackles. If if either one of those guys go down in camp. You know, it, it's Blake Freeland, and, and then it's a bunch of guys that haven't really started a, a ton uh, of, of time uh, along that offensive line, either at tackle or at guard. And then the, the guard situation, too, right, with Will Fries, potentially Danny Pinter, uh, trying to figure out what's going to happen at the right guard position. So no question, I think depth is going to be tested, and they have to feel that out in terms of their confidence level, both up front on the offensive line and then in the secondary at cornerback. Those are things that I'm going to be watching all camp long starting next Wednesday. Matt Taylor joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Talking about confidence level, Matt, uh, we talked about a little bit earlier on the show. Uh, your confidence level that Shaq Leonard will see the field this year? 
Well, just like everybody else, you know, it's it's that, that's a huge mystery. I mean, I mean, I heard what you guys were talking about earlier today on my drive-in, and you know, I saw the social media video of him working out just like everybody else, which that's that's certainly an encouraging sign. But you know, you're talking about a guy that just hasn't played a whole lot of football since what January of, of 2022, which is the end of the 2021 season. So, I mean, he played 74 snaps all of last year, which is you know, sprinkled over the course of, of three games. And so he's missed a ton of time, both on the field, but just time on task within the Gus Bradley defense as well. I mean, we forget about that. The last time he really thrived and was healthy and played at a high level was in the Matt Eberflus defense. So, you know, it's one thing to get back on the field, but it's another to, to really know and understand and, and be able to execute at a high level in a new scheme, which – I don't think he'd have any problem doing that, but it's just the reality again of, of he just hasn't played a whole lot in this defense. And we all know that when he's out there, he is just the emotional leader. I mean, it's sort of like that, that cliche of, of high tides lift all boats. That's, that's Shaq Leonard when he's on the field. Like the defense is just different emotionally, spiritually, you know, motivation wise. And, and just he's an elite player, obviously being able to take the football away E.J. Speed is a similar type of player as Shaq Leonard, but what makes him truly elite, Shaq, that is, is just his nose for the football, being able to change the game and keep defenses out of the end zone and, and all of those things. So to get him back on the field would be enormous, but just considering the amount of time that he has missed and everything is just a big question mark with his injury because of how tricky it's been with the ankle and then the nerve and the back and two different surgeries. I mean, anytime you talk about two back surgeries in the span of six months with anybody, let alone a high level, you know, NFL linebacker taking on the impact that he does, um, that's tricky. And you have to think long term and you have to think about what's best for the team, what's best for him. And so, yeah, you're, you're, you're in a good spot because you have speed, you have Franklin and the Colts don't play a whole lot of, you know, three linebacker sets on defense, you know, playing the base defense. But I'm just saying, if you get him back, it's just such an added bonus. It's like such gravy, uh, you know, with, with, with that defense because of, of who he is and what he can be and certainly how he changes the game. So definitely a storyline. I don't know what to expect. I don't know if we're going to see him out there Wednesday. I don't know what to expect on the preseason or if he's going to be able to go regular season-wise. Um, you know, we, we've sort of just had this cautionary tale on Shaq this entire time as the Colts try to figure out him and this injury and to do right by the team, incorporating him back in this defense whenever that time comes. Matt, whenever like a friend of mine or a colleague, whatever it might be, uh, unfortunately, we all have circumstances where you get laid off or, or you you leave your job, whatever it might be. And I always ask people when that happens, well, what's your oblique date? And your oblique date is like the date in which, if you haven't found a job yet, now you're getting concerned, right? So when it comes to Shaq Leonard, in your opinion, in terms of seeing him out full throttle in practice in relation to when he would be able to then be productive in game situations, the oblique date would be when? I mean, it's so hard to say because, again, uh, you know, physically, you don't know where he's at. We're going to get way more definitive answers on this Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. So maybe I'll have a better, you know, oblique date then. But I think just big picture, I mean, I'm only speaking for myself. 
you know, a, a lot of times, you know, you hear guys being held out, and the Colts did hold out a lot of guys in the spring for cautionary reasons, you know, like Michael Pittman was held out, uh, you know, a substantial time in the spring. Same thing with Alec Pierce. A lot of these pass catchers, right, Josh Downs, Jelani Woods, no reason to push it during the spring. I think every case is a little bit different. And obviously Shaq Leonard not being out there was, depending on who you are, you know, it's, is, is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? To me it was more of a, well, it's, they're still trying to figure this out in the spring. I mean, the fact that he missed another spring was a little bit eyebrow-raising, at least for me, right? I'm only speaking for myself. So my oblique date might be a little bit different than, than other people's oblique date that, that cover this team. So I think for me – if he's not out there, you know, 100% uh, participating in, in practice, you know, full go, and, and by that I mean being out there uh, with no limitations, right, no red jersey, uh, doing 11-on-11 11 11 work, um, participating in those joint practices. It, it, to me, it would be those joint practices. If, if he misses those, you know, a substantial amount of time in those three preseason joint practices, two with Chicago, one with Philly, then my eyebrows would go up a little bit further. But listen, I mean, it's you're talking about an interesting guy and, an, and, a, and a fascinating case here with this injury, trying to get him right. And all I know is when he's out there, the next time you see Shaq Leonard on the field in the game, he's going to be 110% ready to go considering what happened to him last year, coming back and trying to feel like he was, you know, he, was let, he felt like he was letting the team down by not being out there and rushed back maybe quicker than he, than he should have which made the injury worse and wasn't playing up to his standards and, and wasn't able to, to be a, you know, as big of a contributor as he wanted to be on defense. So all of that, I think, is behind him. I think psychologically he's been able to kind of compartmentalize with that and deal with that. So I'm confident that when you see him on the field, he's going to be right, right? He's going to be healthy and he's going to be, you know, in, in, in his mind anyways, the, the same Shaq Leonard. But when we get to that point because of – the complexity of this injury is is still unknown. Matt Taylor is our guest. He's the voice of the Colts. He's on the Payless Lickers hotline. Matt, I don't know. My assumption is that, in fact, in terms of injuries, that it happens to the Colts at a higher rate than other franchises. I don't know that. I don't cover other franchises. And I know that that's a popular question about the franchise each and every year. Somebody asked me to ask you, why do the Colts get hurt more than other franchises? I don't want to put you in that position per se because I know that you're a representative of the franchise indirectly, but I I guess the question would be this. Do you think it is possible that the field surface that the Colts play on lends itself towards more injury than other places? Well, I do know that the the, the NFL has a study, or I should say – the NFLPA, uh, not not the NFL, the union, but the, the Players Association does a study, and that's been talked about a lot this offseason about how synthetic surfaces, you know, statistically and percentage-wise lead to more injuries and they lead to more, you know, specific lower body injuries and knee injuries and things like that. So, I mean, I, I know what the data says league-wide about playing on turf and then you have different kinds of turf and, and all that. Then you kind of get into the weeds. I will say, though, I mean, if you go back to to last training camp, the Colts were incredibly healthy. Uh, I mean, last, last, last training camp from a 
from a health standpoint and an availability standpoint, could not have been smoother, which is which was, I should say, in complete contrast to how the year before went, right? Remember all those injuries with you know, Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith and you had Ryan Kelly dealing with the elbow and it just uh, seemingly your entire offensive line banged up. A lot of skill guys were in trouble. And that 21 season, it was almost like the first four games of the year where it was like, you know, training camp 2.0 because everybody was coming back after an injury, at, you know, in September and you had a lot of just discombobulation with timing and synergy and chemistry and things like that. Um, so, I mean, there, there's no magic formula to this because, again, we, we were going back to training camp last year and Matt Ryan was looking sharp, which he was. I mean, there's no denying how good he looked and how you know in command he felt of this offense and was being a leader in a short amount of time and everybody was healthy. And they were doing, you know, they were practicing at, at noon or 1 o'clock in the afternoon to simulate when they were going to be playing games, and they just did everything right and looked good doing it. And it had no you know, bearing on getting off to a fast start. It just didn't happen, right? I mean, the tie in Houston, uh, getting beat 24 to nothing in Jacksonville, right? Just another slow start. Um, so I just think not that you don't plan for that, not that you don't try to get off to a good start. I just think that, that injuries in this, in this league – are so mainstream and they're inevitable and you just I I really don't buy into the notion that the Colts are more snake bitten in injuries than other teams or they're doing things different to lead to injuries I just think that's professional football man and you know the Colts practice outside every chance they get to stay away from synthetic surfaces but the reality is they do play on a field turf surface you know for their home games at Lucas Oil Stadium just like a lot of other teams do so I don't think I'm qualified to answer that question, but I do know that injuries kind of come and go. They hit teams in waves, and you know, last year they were really healthy this time of year. Hopefully that they can replicate that going into this training camp uh, at the end of the preseason. But uh, there's really no rhyme or reason, in my opinion, covering professional football and having been a player you know, at a small college level, you know, Division three. I mean, it's just it's just all about how you play that day. It's psychologically where you're at that day to get off to a good start in weeks one, two, and three. Um, you know, you, you do everything you can to, to generate a good start, but it's really just how do you play in between those white lines that given Sunday between 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, joining us for another couple of moments. Uh, we had Edger and James on earlier in the show, Matt. I don't know if you caught that interview or not, but I wanted to know your favorite memory of Edge. Well, we had we had we actually talked with Edge earlier in the summer. We do this uh, summer podcast series called Colts Reunion, where we talk to a lot of former players, and Edge was was part of that. And I mean, he's just he's got to be one of the coolest dudes of all time, one of the greatest, just laid back, cool guys, you know, most most comfortable in his own skin type of players to ever put on a Colts helmet. And um, you know, the, the stretch play always comes to mind, right, where he's just feeling it out, trying to find a gap, trying to find a hole, and then cutting and slashing. I mean, as a, as a kid, every Sunday, I just remember, you know, the, the running game opening up the passing game for, for Peyton Manning and, uh, you know, Dallas Clark and, and, uh, and certainly Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. Um, probably my, my favorite moment was, probably one of his least favorite moments when he was obviously tackled from behind with the dreads and then having to make that decision to, to cut those dreads off for 
for his own sake and from his production standpoint. Cleveland. Um, he got tackled by the dreads in Cleveland. Yeah, yep. And then you know, the, the, the crazy thing about Edron James, when we were doing the research for, for that interview, Jay, you'll appreciate this because you covered it in real time. You know, he, he obviously led the NFL in rushing his first two years. And then I think it was year three, year four, suffers the ACL. If you go back, I think he would have had, like, if you go back and just rack up the amount of yardage that he had post-ACL surgery and just focused on those numbers, he's still rushing-wise, I think would still have, like, the 17th highest rushing total in NFL history post-ACL surgery. Yeah. Just those numbers alone. Yeah. And it, it's just crazy to me the, the amount of production that he had. And everybody tries to – I mean, I think why it took so long for him to get into the Hall of Fame was everybody downplayed his significance to that offense because of everything else around him. But, I mean, numbers are numbers, and production is production. Well, that's what, and, he, always, that's what he always strove for. Matt, after the injury, you know, I think people forget, before the injury he had great breakaway speed. And that probably is the one thing that eluded him after the injury. And I don't know that he's the same back after the injury unless he is one of the smartest running backs that you could find. Sure. And he was. And I don't think he was given enough credit for that. And he, the other thing that he did, Matt, was Edron James, to me, was one of the best blitz-reading and anticipating blocking backs in the history of the game. And I don't mean that as hyperbole. I mean – he had no problem whatsoever if he realized somebody was coming, retreating from doing an out pattern and dropping back to protect Peyton Manning and throwing a block. He, he, he knew that was his job, and he did it and never once blinked about it. And I, that it, always impressed me. And what did he say during his Hall of Fame speech? Just do your job, right? Just do your job, right? If he doesn't do that, right? If he doesn't take pride in being a, a third-down blitz pickup running back, you know, Peyton Manning gets destroyed uh, more often than not and is not able to move the chains down the field in the passing game. Just do your job. He took incredible amount of pride in that. And, again, just a guy that was so comfortable in his own skin. I love that story. Is He's working out and he's rehabbing, you know, from the ACL. But, I mean, he's, he's his own guy, right? He's on a different schedule. And he keeps different hours than other people, right? He's not going to be a guy that's going to do physical therapy with somebody you know, from two to four in the afternoon. That's not Edge. He's gonna, you know, he he bought his own what what was it out of his own office building or his own warehouse in Miami, and he turned that into his gym and he worked out you know like in the middle of the night because that's just Edge. Like those are the hours that he kept. That's when he felt like he was most focused and and could just be on his own and get the job and the and the rehab done. So fascinating guy, incredibly nice human being, a, a great humanitarian. Um, and just a, a pleasure to talk to. So that, if I could, just uh, pub it. It's, it's on Colts.com and in the Colts Audio Network. Uh, anywhere you download your podcast, it's called the Colts Reunion Series. We did Edron James. We did Adam Vinatieri, Anthony Costanzo. Uh, we have one coming out uh, this week as well. So um, just a, a lot of fun to talk to a lot of these former players. And uh, Dallas Clark, too, we did him. So, Check that out if you can, and, and Edron James is one of my favorite ones we did this summer. Matt Taylor, appreciate the time as always. Hope you enjoyed the offseason. The grind is only just beginning for you, my friend. We'll see you out at Westfield starting next week. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor joining us on the Payless Liggers Hotline. Have a good one, Matt. We'll see you. I pre- yep, appreciate you guys. See you up there. Uh, last night in the wee hours when I was keeping my odd hours, not in a warehouse that I bought, 
I came up with a pop quiz. I emailed it to you. Your thoughts on the pop quiz, Mark? Pretty solid. The lack of a wrestling question was disappointing, but that's okay. It's <laughs> not my wheelhouse. 15 minutes before the hour of 10 o'clock on this, what is today, the 19th, Mark? Correct, yes. Wednesday, the 19th of 2023. That means that we are right on the cusp of the USAC NOS Energy Drink Indiana Sprint Week, presented by Honest Abe Roofing. Honest Abe, I went out uh, to Circle City Raceway and was watching some uh, racing just before the 500, and Honest Abe, one of the cars had Honest Abe big top hat painted uh-huh. on the side. Watching, it was like watching Abe Lincoln. I was say, that probably series. was your favorite car. July 21st, Gas City. July 22nd, Kokomo. July 23rd, Lawrenceburg. July 24th, Circle City Raceway that I mentioned, which is fabulous out in the Marion County Fairgrounds. Uh, and then July 26th, the Terre Haute Action Track. July 27th in Putnamville. July 28th in Bloomington. And then Tri-State Speedway on July 29th. So a lot of racing taking place all of the drivers trying to join great names in the year's uh, histories. Levi Jones, Brian Clawson, of course, Brady Bacon, Dave Darlin, J.J. Yaley, among those who have won Indiana Sprint Week and been the champions of the event. And our next guest would like to become one of those. Kyle Cummins joins us trying to win the 36th annual Indiana Sprint Week. He is the driver of the Rock Steady Racing number 3R car. And let's begin with the obvious question, Kyle, which is this. Uh, two ways to look at that. It was exhausting for me just to read off all those dates. I'm not the one that's hauling a trailer around and getting in the car and racing them. Is it more physically challenging or mentally challenging? Um, I'd say uh, probably a little bit more physical. Um, it all depends how, how what kind of heat we're going to have this week. Yeah, it's, I can imagine that. I Do you, I, you know, I was going to say, do you feel the heat in the cars because you're the way you're moving, you got a lot of air running through there, though, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, the motor, though, your your feet are kind of sitting at the rear of the motor, so the motor puts off a, a decent amount of heat. But um, I don't know. I think we're kind of used to it by by this time in the summer. Um, we've been running enough to where your body's kind of ready for it. Um, but definitely after uh, after night three or four, you can definitely kind of feel it. It's good to have that one one night off, and um, and by the end of the week, uh, you're you're ready to uh, you're ready to take a little bit of a break. Kyle, you and I are almost the same age. Uh, I'm 37 years old. I'm always curious what got you into racing initially. What 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 got you interested? And in the first time you went super fast, I'm always intrigued by that because I'm like I can't imagine going that fast and feeling feeling comfortable. Yeah, my dad um, he actually did it. Um, he raced sprint cars, and um, when I was, uh, or I guess when I was before I was born, and um, you know he so we grew, I grew up around it, and um, you know he always did it, and you know just going to the racetrack with him until I started racing go karts when I was probably eight to ten years old, and then uh, he finally slowed down racing and kind of let me take over and. Um, you know, I've been doing it for a long time now, it seems like. But um, I started racing sprint cars when I was 15, so I'm 35 now. And uh, so I've been doing it doing it quite a while. And um, definitely that first time, you know, from go-karts to then we raced these pro-modifieds, then we went directly into sprint cars. So I do remember the first time um, it kind of blurred my vision a little bit. Um, 
when I when I really gassed it up for the first time in hot laps, and I thought, can can I really do this? Uh, <laughs> this is pretty wild, but um, you know, you kind of get used to it, and um, and then you know, that's kind of that. Which is harder, Kyle? To transfer from one kind of a race car to another, in other words, to go in from a midget to a sprint, you know, to a modified, whatever it might be, the the different feel of the cars, or to transfer from different surfaces, dirt to pavement, etc. Um, I don't really do a lot of. I don't do any pavement actually now. Um, back in the day, I but you had like in your karting career, I'd assume, right? Yeah, back and forth we did. Um, you know, I think um, I don't know. I, I think you just kind of mindset is once you do it, you kind of understand. So um, it just takes a couple laughs for your mind to to remember what you're doing again, and then it just kind of becomes normal. So um, I don't know if either of them is is much different. You just have to once you make those first couple laps, you just kind of okay, this is what this car has to feel like, or okay, this is this is how this one feels. Um, so uh, it's kind of the same, really. Kyle Cummins has over 17, or owns, I should say, 17 career USAC National Sprint Car wins, a chance to pick up several of them coming up here in Indiana Sprint Week, which begins here on the 21st in Gas City. Um, Kyle, my understanding is, and one of the things I love about racing is racers are competitive, man. You know, whether it be against, I mean, at the highest levels, guys within their own team trying to outdo their teammates, trying to win races, but when it comes down to it and adversity sets in, there is a great camaraderie amongst the sport, and I think people have a respect for other racers. That came into play for you, if I'm not mistaken. Take me back, I think it was in Florida at the beginning of the year. You you got knocked down not once but twice at no fault of yours with some engine issues, and all of a sudden, like, help comes from miles away. Take me through it. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, the sport's kind of – even though we're all going after each other and it's kind of like a, a war or a battle, um, you know, everyone is kind of, um, you know, everyone's kind of friends and buddies and everyone helps and chimes in and helps and, you know, spare parts and stuff. But yeah, we, we blew two engines, um, uh, two nights in a row. And, um, my, uh, some of my buddies from up North here and a, and a guy I knew had an engine and, uh, they were going to let us uh, borrow it or buy it or something, and um, I got a got a hold of some of my buddies, and one was actually in Texas on his way from Texas back to Indiana, and uh, and one was was here at my hometown, and they got together, picked my pickup truck up, went and went and got a new in- this engine that we borrowed from another race car, uh, another team um, that kind of runs local stuff around here, and. Uh, drove all night and drove that engine down to us, and, <laughs> and then we, I'll just uh, swing by Texas to, to to come by Florida, right? Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I know. I see. When they got there, they were tired, uh, but they uh, they got there about one in the afternoon. Got the car in. Got there by five o'clock, and it was close. But then we we won the finale, and uh, the ten thousand win finale. So. Uh, Everyone was excited, and it definitely made the the hard work worth it. I hope if you stopped at Texas, you stopped at a Bucky's. That's like the show. <laughs> they didn't have time, Mark. No, you always have time for Bucky's. You can make a pit stop. Kyle Cummins, USAC driver, joining us right now. They on the had a lot Payless. of NOS energy is what yeah, they did. That's right. On the Payless Liggers Hotline right now. Kyle, uh, you've been mostly a local driver uh, for most of your life, but you've taken on a national schedule. How's that transition been going for you? 
Uh, it's going all right. It's, it's extremely um, – so I own a machine shop, and that's why um, New Tech Precision Machine. And so that's why I never – I just run local stuff. And, I mean, we go to Florida and do a little bit of traveling, but, you know, never going to – never ran the full series. And um, this year we kind of – things were going pretty good. And um, Avante – Jerry Petty with Avante Windows and Doors came on board and um, had some – we have some really good sponsors that we've had before. And um, – we just we were running pretty good. Um, I got a I have a daughter that's two and a half, and I have a boy that's going to be born in beginning of October. So I felt like this is my only time to do it. So this will probably be my one and only year to run the run all the races in the series. And so um, and they they don't go out to uh, this year is like the first year in forever that they didn't go out to California at the end of the year for like a month. And so um, it's made it very stressful with my business, but um, and very stressful just making sure I'm there all the time. But it's, it's been a it's been fun, and you know there's a bunch of racetracks we haven't ran before. Um, so you know when we come back here to Indiana, this is more of kind of our home turf, and um, so we definitely have a better shot at all these races. But um, you know these other ones, it's been it's it's been. I don't know if I'd say enjoyable, but um, you know, it's been fun running different racetracks. Just, uh, just a little stressful at the same time. I so, can see uh, it right now, Kyle. Twenty years from now, your son's on a radio show somewhere, and he says, "Well, you know, my dad was racing just well, just before I was born." As a matter of fact, yeah, that's how, how it's all going to go down, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm definitely gonna. I mean, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll keep racing, and um, you know, we run all the big races when we're you know, around here and we always go to Florida. I love going to Florida and, um, it's just a couple of the Pennsylvania swings, the, the running at Texas. And, you know, sometimes, um, there's been times before where we just, we couldn't make it to the race cause I was busy or my owner, he owns a, he owns a business too. So it's very, uh, everyone on our team has a full-time job and, um, I know there is others too, but, um, we just, we, I don't even know if we were prepared for it. Um, just things were going good. So we just all kind of decided, okay, let's, let's try it. And, um, you know, I run the USAG midget, um, for Glen stars racing. And I kind of had to pump the brakes on that a little bit and, uh, you know, just let it sit in the garage so I could, I could put all my efforts to working and making it to all those sprint car races. Well, I'll tell you what, Kyle, um, last 30 seconds here, but circle city raceway, notably July 24th, you're going to be there. Um, they've done a lot of great work out there. They got a lot of new clay laid down and dirt laid down, and that's a that's an awesome track, man. So certainly enjoy it, and we wish you the best of luck throughout all of the races starting on the 21st at Gas City and Indiana Spring Week. Appreciate it, man. Hey, thank you guys for having me. All right, again, Kyle Cummins, native of Princeton, Indiana, driver of the Rocksteady Racing number 3R, and Sprint Week getting underway again. 21st in Gas City, 22nd in Kokomo, 23rd in Lawrenceburg, 24th, Circle City Raceway right here in Indy, the 26th at the Terre Haute, Terre Haute Action Track, Lincoln Park on the 27th, Bloomington on the 28th, and Tri-State Speedway on the 29th. Uh, good show today. Edron James was great. That'll be up on the podcast later, right, Mark? That uh, will be correct, yes. All right, it's going to be a beautiful day outside today, everybody. Uh, enjoy it. We look forward to talking to you again tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Kevin Bowen back on Monday. Mark Dykton capably filling in. Sam Fritz as well. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.